Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, where you will find messages from various speakers here at Eastgate House of Prayer Mission Base, both a house of prayer and a praying church. We pray that you are blessed through this message and that a greater measure of truth is revealed to you as you listen. Okay, so back in September, October, um, I had this dream that totally, like, it marked me. Like, it changed my life, and it's given me language that I never, ever, ever had before. I always had, like, the idea of, of what this dream presented, but I never really had the language that this dream gave me. And so, basically, what happened in the dream is I was on my computer, and I'm on a FaceTime call, okay? And I'm on a FaceTime call with someone who's like a dad to me. And so he was representing the father. And, and I'm talking to him. And he's, he's just telling me, he's like, you need to go to this store. You're going to go and find this employee who's going to be in this area of the store. And you're going to tell them this. And they're going to respond like this. And you're going to lead them to Jesus. And all these good things are going to happen. Or he'd be like, okay, and you're going to go to this restaurant. You're going to find this employee. You're going to say these things. And they're going to respond like this. Like he just laid it out like so clear to me. And every single time that I'd go and do what he told me, it would like totally work out exactly like he said he would. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then the dream shifts and there's a bunch of us, all EHOP community, we're all getting on this like wagon for a fall festival. And there's all these like, um, like wheat, I don't even know what these are called, but like the little squares that are at farms, like... Sure, like the sheaves and all the things. And so it was all about harvest. So basically what the Lord was so clearly saying was, make sure you have face-to-face time with me. Have face-to-face time with me. I'll give you the strategies. It will work out exactly like I say, and it's all onto the harvest. Like, come on, someone. That's a good word. So I was so encouraged by that because, honestly, what I've seen in the church more often than not, is, is the body just running everywhere, hoping for the best, being hopeful and trying to do our own thing, hoping that God will bless it. And the question that I ask is, have we made time for the face-to-face time so we'd know what he's saying to us in this hour? And so that's exactly what's been stirring on my heart over the last couple of months is like, what are the strategies of heaven? What is the Lord saying to us in this hour? And actually, how can we partner with him? How can we say yes? How can we step into obedience to actually give ourselves to his strategies, strategies, his ways? His, like, what is he doing in this hour? Oh, and so, Jesus, I'm humbled to stand here this morning. I consider it such an honor. And, Father, I'm so grateful for this family. I'm so grateful for every single person that's in this room. And God, I'm asking today that you would give us your strategies, that you would give us the mind of Christ, that we would know what you're saying, what you're doing in this hour. God, don't let us run to and fro trying to figure it out on our own. But God, give us hearts and minds and wills and emotions that are submitted to you and to your heart. In Jesus' name. And so why... Are the strategies of heaven important? Why is it important that we know what the Lord is saying and doing in this hour? Well, the reality is, is first and foremost, Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So it's indicative of us that we actually don't love him if we don't say yes to what he's saying. 
That's a pretty weighty word. But the reality is, is if we actually want to operate as this legislative assembly, if we want to actually function as the ecclesia, if we want to function as the hands and feet of Jesus here on the earth, we need to know how he's leading. We need to know what he's saying. We need to know what he's doing. Like, like it's of utmost importance. I don't know about you, but like I want to partner with Jesus to see the nation shift onto righteousness, to justice, to see the plans and purposes of God be established all across the earth. Like I want to see our generation alive today encounter signs, wonders, miracles, and outpouring of the Spirit of God. Like this is what I'm craving. I want to see abortion end in our day. Like, come on, I want to see my lost friends and family come to know Jesus, and I want to see yours do the same. And, like, the reality is, it's like, I can sit, and I can pray harder, and I can read more, and I can strategize on my own. I can read all the books. I can listen to all the podcasts. I can take all the courses. I can learn from the world's best leaders. But if I've neglected to listen to what the Lord's saying in this hour, I'll miss it every time. Like, it's weighty. So I crave and I want to crave the strategies of heaven. And I believe that the Lord is calling this family collectively to do the same. So the danger, though, of a word like this is in our human nature, we go, okay, Sergeant God, tell us what to do. Boss me around so I won't get it wrong. Just, just tell me what I have to do. And it was super funny. Like when Dean Briggs was here, he was giving all these like, ideas, like these lofty thoughts, these metaphorical things, and eventually he just kind of stops and he goes, you guys all want me to tell you what to do, don't you? And the whole room erupted in laughter. Like, it was a funny moment, but like, all of a sudden, like, it was, like, it was super sobering for me. I was like, okay, no, all of us in this room were looking for Dean to just boss us around and be the voice of God and just tell us all what to do so we can't mess it up. We have this fear of actually walking in faith and trust and obedience to the Lord because we're all just like, I'm scared I'm going to get it wrong if, if someone doesn't just tell me what to do. And like, I've heard many, like, I haven't lived that long, but I've heard enough people say that they have no interest in God or Christianity because they're like, well, it's just a, a list of rules, do's and don'ts. How do I function so that God will like me? And this is like so opposed to the gospel. He's not our sergeant that bosses us around. He's a good dad that wants us to walk with him. Like this is who he is. And so I'm not so much this morning contrasting like our free will versus being obedient to God. These are not two distinct things. But what I am contrasting is the pursuit of our own will, our own dreams, our own desires, our own ambitions, and contrasting that with the pursuit of the strategies of God. I'm not interested in us operating like every decision I make is either sin or not sin, and so I need to be like, I can't even move. I can't even leave my room. I just need to sit and pray all the time or else I'm going to, you know, get in trouble. Like, this is not it. That's a wacky religious mindset, and then honestly what it results in is a church that's paralyzed by fear, and the Lord's not looking for that. Like, he's so not looking for that, and so he is looking for a people who trust him as a good dad to give us strategies that we would be obedient to what he's saying. And like scripture is clear about this. Let me give you a few because this is so good. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will teach you and tell you the way to go and how to get there. I will give you good counsel and I will watch over you. It's funny that we were just heading into good counsel there on 
the end of what we were doing today. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we all know it. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. I love that version. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Isaiah 9, 6, prophesying the birth of Jesus. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders and his name will be the wonderful one, the extraordinary strategist, or we know that to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the father of eternity, the prince of peace. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you and even show you great and mighty things, things which have been confined and hidden, which you do not know and understand and cannot distinguish. Matthew 4.4, that we should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John 15, Jesus himself says, you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command to you. I've never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But the natural or unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. They're absurd and illogical to him. And he is incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated, and he is unqualified to judge spiritual matters. But the spiritual man or the spiritually mature Christian judges all things questions, examines, and applies whatever the Holy Spirit reveals, yet is himself judged by no one. The unbeliever cannot judge and understand the believer's spiritual nature. For who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. That's a good word. And then the last one I have here, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or a circumstance. He is to ask of our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. And so this morning, I want to hit on two specific ways of thinking that will actually keep us from obeying and hearing even the strategies of God. And so the first is actually democratic thinking, and the second is orphan thinking. So the first democratic thinking, I mean, I'm really grateful that we live in Canada and we function as a democracy. That's really nice. Um, but actually, this democratic thinking in, in a spiritual sense is this reality where we function under the belief that majorities make things happen. In order for something big to happen, in order for God to show up or move in power, it takes a lot of people. We need a consensus. If we could just get all the churches together, if we could just get every single person on the same page, that sounds really nice in theory, but like I have a hard time even getting along with Rochelle sometimes and we live together. You know what I mean? Like think about your spouse. Like you, you can't even get on the same page with the person most close to you. Try, you know, like it's just, it's not a reality, but often we get paralyzed by fear and we go, well, not everyone's going to agree with me or not everyone's going to get on board with this mission or this vision that the Lord's giving. And then we get paralyzed by fear and nothing happens. 
And what this does is it really creates a sense of powerlessness until everyone's on the same page. And so then what we have is a powerless bride forever because no one's ever fully on the same page. The reality is, is that God is not president of presidents, but he's king of kings, which means he didn't get voted in. He didn't get there by popular vote. Like God didn't get into the position that he's in because the whole earth decided that he's the best ruler. Honestly, is that really who we would have picked in our sinful nature? Like, let's be real. And so this is not only about God, this actually impacts us. This means that you and I, we're not sons and daughters of a president. We're sons and daughters of a king, which means we're heirs, right? Like this, this literally changes everything. This makes us royalty. What this means is that when God makes a decree, he isn't really worried about what the people want. Like he's not looking for a consensus. When God decides, God decides. It just is. God is not, he, he's fully concerned about what's best for us and not what we think is best for us. And so in light of that, God often speaks to us something that's radical, something that's big, something that might be out of the norm. And more often than not, we sit back and we go, well, like, is that how God's calling so-and-so? Well, is that how God's leading my pastor? Is that how God's, you know, whatever. And often we shrink back, we shy away, and we don't step into what God's doing because we're looking for a consensus. We're looking for everyone to get on board. It's like, you're unique. You've been designed with specific purpose for your life. To think that everyone else has to get on board with your call is foolishness because you're, you're totally called to live a unique life before the Lord. We look around and we see that no one else is doing it, so we decide it must not be God. Hello. Democratic thinking will disable us from hearing and obeying the divine strategies that God wants to release to us. So secondly, orphan thinking. We've heard a lot about this, so I want you to literally listen to me as though you've never heard of this concept before, as if you've never heard anyone talk about this, and I want us to actually listen to this for us. Like, don't be thinking, oh yeah, like my spouse is really bad for all of that, or like, oh, my kid is totally functioning as an orphan, or, you know, not interested in that. Let's, let's analyze our own hearts here. Orphan thinking will disable us from hearing and obeying the divine strategies that God wants to release to us. So the orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy. So if you have a hard time hearing your biological or spiritual parent congratulate or encourage your biological or spiritual sibling, there might be some orphan spirit in there. If you're functioning under the orphan spirit, you need to be encouraged consistently by your leaders. But if you're functioning under the spirit of adoption, you function out of love and acceptance. You're so secure in the Father's love and favor that you are content to serve in any capacity needed, whether or not you're in charge or celebrated in the process. The orphan spirit serves God to earn the Father's love. They're constantly striving and trying to earn the Father's love through their accomplishment in ministry or in their career. They're actually hyper-possessive and protective of their job, of their career, of their ministry, of their position, of their relationships. Don't get in my way. Do not take over my role. Do not steal my job, because that's my thing. Versus ones who operate under the spirit of adoption. They serve God without a sense. They serve God out of a sense of divine acceptance and favor. They already know that they're accepted. 
They already know that they're the beloved of the Lord. They already know that they get to serve others out of the abundance of this acceptance. The one who's operating under the spirit of adoption, they try to medicate their deep internal alienation through physical simulation. They are constantly trying to push down their sense of alienation and loneliness and lack of self-worth by, doing, by working constantly, by going from one relationship to the next through physical gratification and a life of narcissism and self-indulgence. However, the more they indulge, the more they get addicted they become, and the larger the hole in their heart actually becomes because only the love of the Father can fill the deep emotional wounds inside of them. That's heavy. Okay, here we are. The, the orphan spirit tries to medicate its deep internal alienation through physical stimulation. They are constantly trying to push down their sense of alienation, loneliness, and lack of self-worth through constant work, going from one relationship to the next, physical gratification, and a life of narcissism and self-indulgence. However, the more that they indulge, the more addicted they become, and the larger the hole in their heart becomes because only the love of the Father can fill the deep emotional wounds that they carry. Versus the spirit of adoption. The mature son or daughter walks in the joy and presence of the Lord for comfort. They bask in the presence and love of God, and they practice the joy of the Lord continually as their source of strength because they understand that grounding their security and self-life in anything other than God is like trying to build a house on sinking sand. The orphan spirit uses people as objects to fulfill goals versus the spirit of adoption serves people to bless the kingdom. The spirit of adoption has anger and fits of rage and other forms of manipulation because they feel like they always have to control others and control circumstances in order to fulfill their goals. This is basically because they lack the trust necessary to trust the Lord that he'll actually guide them and lead well. Versus the spirit of adoption rests in the Father's ability to guide and control their future. The spirit of adoption or of orphanship is always in competition with others. They're always trying to outdo others in their church, in their family, in their business, or their denomination because they receive their identity through being better than everyone else. They hide every ounce of limitation or lack of capability that they have versus the adopted child of God is always blessing others. They're constantly seeing how they can bless others. They're constantly seeing how they can encourage one another because they're already resting in the affirmation of God on them, in them, through them. The orphan spirit lacks self-esteem. They have a hard time loving and accepting themselves. What do you say about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror? Like, how do you think others perceive you? Are you speaking death over yourself? Over yourself? But the spirit of adoption walks in the love and the acceptance of Father God. They're filled with a sense of divine love and acceptance that enables them to walk confidently in the joy of the Lord. The orphan spirit sees God as master, whereas the adopted spirit sees God as a loving father. The orphan spirit is bound by fear, whereas the spirit of adoption is free from fear. The orphan spirit is independent and self-reliant. They're withdrawn and they lack emotion versus when we're living in the spirit of adoption, we learn how to be interdependent and we acknowledge our need. We're emotionally intimate with others and with the Lord. Ones who operate under this, the orphan spirit, they see authority as a source of pain. 
they're distrustful towards them and they lack a heart of an attitude of submission versus the adopted child of God. They're respectful and they are honoring. Those who operate in the orphan spirit, they're unable to say yes when God directs and leads because there's a lack of intimacy and trust with the Father. So when the strategies of heaven come, it's like, I can't. I don't, I don't trust that you're going to show up. Even if you look through your whole lifetime and it's like, wow, God's been faithful for the last 30 years, but there's no chance he's going to be faithful this time. Are you kidding me? But this is what the orphan spirit does. Or even, even this, like, I was listening to a podcast this morning about, like, the spirit of rejection. It's like this fear of, like, God, I can't say yes to you when you're calling me into things because what if my mom thinks I'm crazy? What if my dad thinks I'm nuts? What if my spouse doesn't get it? You know what I'm saying? And this is what the orphan spirit does. But the spirit of adoption enables us to fully say yes when God directs and leads us, when the strategies of heaven come, because there's a healthy relationship with the Father where he's already deemed trustworthy. God, I don't care how you lead. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I don't, it doesn't even matter because I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know you're true. Lead however you want, God. My hands and my heart, they're open. Do what you want. I'm yours. This is the spirit of adoption. If we're operating under the orphan spirit, we actually function like we're entitled to doing what we think is best. Well, I think option A is better than B, so I'm doing A. God, I don't even care what you think. Or maybe we'll even operate under the assumption that God wouldn't want to share his strategies with us anyway. Well, even if I did pray, I wouldn't get an answer, so there's no point in even asking. It's a real thing. Yeah, it is a stronghold. Some of us, we operate as though only the elite and the super spiritual get to know the strategies. Only the people you see on TV and on YouTube, like only those super spiritual people get to know the strategies. And we're all just the peasants that got to figure it out on our own. God doesn't talk to us. Hi, that's pretty old covenant thinking. That's like totally opposed to what we've actually been entrusted with, to know the strategies of God. The only way to break off this orphan spirit is for people to be filled with a sense of the Father's love for them in Christ, which enables them to become mature sons and daughters who serve God out of the knowledge of his undeserved grace. This is good news. We don't have to earn his love. We don't need to earn the strategies by our performance, by our obedience, by us being good enough or spiritual enough. It's will we make time for the face-to-face time so that we can actually listen to him and how he's leading. And so we have to be intentional about God breaking off all these like worldly ways of thinking so that we can truly be obedient as we receive the divine strategies of God. So let's look at the word for a couple of examples about God giving strategy to his people. So just quick, but Joshua, in Joshua chapter six, Jericho is standing in front of Joshua, this whole city, and Joshua has no idea what to do. God assures them, you guys are going to take the city. You guys are good. Joshua lifts up his face, and he sees the captain of the army of the Lord who began to give him divine strategy for the battle. And he told Joshua how to capture and destroy the city. At first, Joshua literally could see no logic. God, why is that your plan? Why is that how you're leading? But when he stepped into faith, he knew it would work. And we all know what happened. The walls of the city fell down flat and the armies of Israel walked right over them and took over the city. 
Joshua could not have thought of that strategy on his own, to walk around all the times. But God's ways are not our ways, and his ways are failure-proof. What about Gideon in Judges chapter 7 and 8? Like the nation of Israel, they're going to fight the Midian people, and God tells Gideon that his army is too large. Your army's too big. Um, I would not want to hear that word if I was leading an army. That's a little scary. So God tells Gideon to tell all who are afraid to leave. So 72,000 people leave and only 10,000 remain. And God says, whoa, still too many. Ah, I'd be freaking out. So God gets Gideon to take these 10,000 soldiers down to the water. And those who lapped up the water with their tongues were to be separated from the people who knelt down to drink. 300 lapped up the water and they were to be those who Gideon used to fight as an army to fight the Midianites. So God gives them a clear strategy to to surround the camp and attack late at night and to sound the trumpets and do all these things. And then what happens? The Midianites in confusion and terror, they start killing each other. Israel pursues their army, destroys them, and proceeds to live at peace for 40 years. The strategies of God. It's good news because it's for us. David, in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men are arriving back in in Ziklag. Um, the people had raided the town. David's freaking out because his, all of his wives and children are just gone. Put yourself in that scenario. Imagine if you just showed up at home and your family's just gone and you know who took them. I'm pretty sure your immediate response would be, I'm going back to take back what belongs to me. I don't care who I have to kill or destroy on my way. But David, instead, he goes, God, what do you want me to do? Before he moved, before he did anything, he actually asked of the Lord, What is your strategy here? So David was obedient and he went. Saul, in Acts chapter 9, so he's a mass persecutor of Christians and he's on his way to Damascus to find followers of Jesus and to arrest them. When he gets to the outskirts of the city, he was suddenly dazed by a a blinding flash of light. And he falls to the ground and, and the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? So he trembled And he says, who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So then Saul, trembling and astonished, he goes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord says to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Literally, the first encounter with the Lord, his immediate response is just, tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. I'm submitting myself to your divine strategies. And that's that's a huge thing that we can learn today. So... When I was at Kingswood, I actually had a lot of friends who would often talk about the will of God being like a playground. So God's will is like this big sandbox, and you can go on the slide, or you can go on the swings, or you can go on the teeter-totter, or you can roll around in the sand, whatever you like to do on a playground, and as long as you're within the confines of the playground, you're good to go. That sounds really nice, And I hear the heart. I hear the motivation. I get where we're coming from. But the reason I have a problem with this is because what I learned was that the motivation behind why they were saying it was actually, I don't want to have to go to the Lord. I don't want to have to make time for the face-to-face time. So I'm just going to assume that as long as it's not sin, it's permissible before the Lord. It was actually more so like a cop-out rather than a good theology. And the danger with this 
is that we'd actually just be a people who never learn what it looks like to get intimate with the Lord. God, what are you saying? I will give my life and my time to fasting and praying and searching until I know what you're saying. Like if we're actually operating as adopted sons and daughters, we don't have to function like we're in a playground or where we'll just hope that we're doing the right thing all the time. The invitation is that we know what the Lord is saying to us in this hour, in this day. So do not fear the strategies of God or fear, what if it's not God? Maybe I'm not hearing God. You are hearing. And I believe that he will make it so clear when he releases his strategy. And there will be unprecedented levels of repetition of confirmation of his word. He's not some jerk that's looking for you to mess up. Like, this is not his nature. He's not setting you up for failure. He's inviting you into friendship with him that you would know what he's doing and saying and the way that he's leading him, leading you in his kindness. So there was once this old lady, her name was Annie. She was like the typical church lady and all the kids loved her. So on Sunday mornings, you'd just see like Annie show up with her little like bag full of candies and all the kids would like run up to Annie and they were like waiting for their candies. My grandma used to be like this, so I love this story. And so Annie was like the lady. Everyone knew she was super spiritual. Everyone knew that she was amazing and just really loved Jesus. Everyone loved Annie, and they just as much loved her husband, Wilson. So they were old. They were getting old. And and eventually, actually, Wilson passed away. So Annie's learning how to do day-to-day life on her own. And so Annie, being a lover of Jesus, every single day, she'd, she'd wake up, she'd get out of bed, she'd go out onto her front step of her house, and she'd go, praise Jesus, thank you for a good day, Lord. And then she'd just go back in her house and go back about her day. But every single day, this is what Annie did. She just loved Jesus, and she was like, I'm giving him the first few minutes of my life. Praise Jesus, thank you for a good day. And she was consistent. She just, she felt like the Lord was worthy of it. So after Wilson had passed, Annie was learning how to make ends meet all on her own. She's getting old. She can't do as much as she used to. And and she starts asking the Lord. She's like, God, like, I notice how the cupboards are starting to get empty. Like, I notice that the fridge doesn't have as much food as it used to. What do I do? She starts seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, in, in your early morning prayer time, when you go out on the step, I want you to ask for my provision. I want you to ask for me to come through. So she goes, okay, okay, I can do that. So one day, Annie goes out to do her regular prayer time. She says, praise Jesus. Thank you for a good day, God. And would you come through and provide for me? And this day, she notices, she's like, oh, the next door neighbors have a for sale sign. A couple weeks later, she notices some moving trucks coming in next door. And what do you know? But it's this atheist guy that moves in next door. Every morning at 6 a.m., he would wake up to her yelling on her front step, and he was not having it. He did not like it. So he'd, he'd look out from his window, and he'd be like, what is she doing? Why is she yelling at 6 a.m.? He was not happy about it. So all of a sudden, he starts noticing. He's like, oh, she's asking for groceries. She's asking for stuff to fill in her cupboard. She's asking for food you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prove to her that her God doesn't exist, and I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to get her a ton of groceries and prove to her, your God's not going to come through. So what he does is he goes to the grocery store, and he gets hundreds of dollars of groceries, and early one morning, it's like 5.30, he goes and he puts them on, on the front step, and he hides. So he's waiting in the bushes. He's like, what is she going to do? 
So she comes out early in the morning, and she trips over all the groceries, and she looks down, and she just starts jumping. She's like, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And her new atheist next-door neighbor is coming out. He's like, what is wrong with you? Why are you yelling? Why are you so I bought those groceries. Your God did not bring you those groceries. Get over yourself, lady. Like, your God didn't come through. I did. So eventually, Annie, she's still freaking out, and he's trying to get her to calm down, and Eventually, she calms down enough, and she looks him straight in the eye, and she goes, my God provided for me, and he made the devil pay for it. (laughs) Shoot. Straight up. (laughs) Yeah, seeker friendly. That's it. And so this is Annie, though. Here's the reality. Like, the rate of crimes of people who literally just go to a grocery store just to steal, like a potato, or something random that they need just to provide for themselves is so high. But Annie instead positioned herself as one who, God, I trust that you're going to show up. What are your strategies? Okay, you asked me to pray every day. So here I am. I'm praying every day, and I, I believe you'll come through. And what did the Lord do? He came through. So do you feel like God's been shifting you out of the job you're currently in? Do you feel like it's time to sell the house and move elsewhere? Do you feel like it's a time for a shift in the community that you're walking with or in the friends that you have? Do you feel like there's a new project or business or ministry or a calling that you're supposed to step into? Do you feel like there's a fresh sense of urgency to stand up for righteousness and for justice in this region, in this province? Do you feel like God's calling you out in your evangelism habits? Do you feel like God's calling you to step up and step out at new leadership? And like David, we need to first ask the Lord for his leadership before we make a move. Like, I'm not interested in moving if he's not moving first. Like, if your presence doesn't go, we don't want to go. No, we don't want to go. Straight up. So let's, as a family, ask for divine strategy of how to walk these things out. The word is clear. Like, if you ask, you will receive. Like, the Lord is not a jerk. I keep saying that because it's true. He's not. And so what if you don't feel like the Lord's been saying anything in terms of direction for the next season? What if you're like, you know what? I have been asking taught, and the Lord's not telling us anything, and this is just making me angry that you're saying all of this. I'm telling you, don't assume what God is probably saying. The invitation is to rest, to worship, to bow, to pray, to fast, to believe until you hear. This is not laziness. It's not an invitation for us to sit idly by, okay, God, waiting for you to do a thing. It's actually, no, let's seek his presence. Let's seek his heart until we know what he's saying. Ask the Lord for what is on his heart. Ask for his blueprints. Ask for his wisdom. Ask for his strategy. Ask for his eyes to see. Oh, that we would have the mind of Christ. Ask, don't assume because we know what that does. Don't move until you have vision and strategy. The word is clear in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I love the way that the Passion Translation says it. Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Come on. That's so good. And so when we listen 
for Holy Spirit to tell us his secrets, what he's doing and saying in this hour. We get positioned for radical blessing. There's a promise, and it's good. He will give you the prophetic strategy for absolutely anything you need. He's trying to set you up when he tells you things. He's working on actually aligning the pieces of your blessing. He's actually weaving and writing your story like it's all good. He's trying to position you for the next part of your life. So let's stand together. Father, I'm grateful that you desire for your sons and daughters to know what you're doing and saying. Corporately, big picture in the nations of the earth, but God, even small scale in our own lives. God, I thank you that you will not withhold from us what you're doing and saying. God, I thank you that you are, you are a good dad. You want us to know how you're leading us in this hour. And so, Father, right now we position ourselves in submission to you. We won't function as orphans, wandering and hoping for the best, but we will function as adopted sons and daughters, knowing who we are. And we will rest and we will pray and we will fast and we will bow and we will believe and we will have faith until we know what you're saying. God, we refuse to be a people who just try to figure it out on our own when we have a good dad who knows how to lead us in kindness and in grace. And so, Father, right now we submit ourselves to you. We say we trust your leadership no matter what it looks like, no matter what we have to lay down, no matter what we have to surrender to. Jesus, you've been worth it over the last decades, and you'll be worth it as we continue walking with you. And so we say we trust you. We say you're worthy of being trusted. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would just give us this grace to say yes to you today. And in the coming weeks and in the coming months and in the next 20 years, God, we refuse to live in the past. We refuse to live in yesterday's blessing based on yesterday's word. God, we want to know what you're saying here and now. So release to us the strategies of heaven, your divine counsel. We have to know. We have to know. So Jesus, we say yes to you. And we say amen to every promise you've given us already and to the many more that are to come. In Jesus' name. If you want prayer, come up. So John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that you may know me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom I've sent. So it's to know him. I mean, it's great He's welcoming us to give us, grant us leadership and clear leadership. He knows the beginning from the end. He, he knows it all. But the whole point is it's not we have to do this. We actually get to walk with him and know him. We get to be with him. So Jesus is Lord and the question is, is, do we want him to be our Lord? And I would challenge you and encourage you as you leave from here, how do I perceive the, the title Lord? Is it actually good? 
or does something in me kind of wrestle with that? Because he's good. His leadership is excellent. And as I, as I was saying, a good, as a good father, he wants to lead us. He wants to be intimately involved in our lives and lead us. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. To find more teaching resources or to join us via live stream, visit our website at eastgatehouseofprayer.ca.